All right, folks, just wanted to let you know before you dive into this episode, this episode ended up running a little bit longer than we expected, talking about Tesla. Obviously, there's been so much in the news the past week and you know just over the past few months as well. And with as quick as the news cycle is with this company, we really wanted to cover everything that's going on with the business so we didn't have to drop three Tesla podcasts over the next couple of months. So, just keep that in mind as you tune into this episode and hope you enjoy my conversation with John Rosevere. Thanks. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, March 7th, and we're talking Tesla. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Auto Analyst John Rosevere via Skype. How are you doing, John? I'm doing very well, Nick. How are you? I am doing great, and I am very excited to talk about Tesla today. This is a company that has just been in the news so much in the past <laughs> year, but in the past month uh, especially. I mean, we've got Confusion around European deliveries, issues on imports into China. You have the general counsel and the CFO leaving in the past few months. Elon Musk just got contempt charges uh, from the SEC. They announced price cuts across their entire lineup of vehicles. And they announced uh, the Model Y uh, reveal coming March 14th. So there's just a lot of news to talk about. And for our listeners, just want to signpost this is going to be a long episode, probably one of the longest ones that I've done. And I've done one. <laughs> I'm of the hosts of Industry Focus, one of the longer uh, running ones. But John, before we dive into this recent news about Tesla, you know, I just kind of want to give Tesla and Elon some credit. I mean, back in 2010, when Tesla IPO'd, it was the first U.S. automaker to enter the market in 54 years. Came from a standing start at zero, and it's up 10x since IPO. You know, when you look at the brand that Tesla's built and what they've accomplished so far, what stands out to you with their brand and just how significant uh, the growth that they've achieved in the past few years has been? Yeah, when in, in the early days after Tesla went public, uh, it was common for me to hear from readers, Tesla is disrupting the auto business. And I said, back up. They haven't necessarily disrupted the auto business, but they have entered the auto business. And that is a really, really, really hard thing. And we should give them credit for that. You know, just to be building cars uh, beyond the hand built in the garage level is a big deal. I mean, Matt, th- this is a fiendishly difficult business to to enter at all, much less to make money in. Uh, and and they have they have certainly entered it. They've made a huge splash. Uh, whether they're making money consistently yet or not, jury's still out, but <laughs> but 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 they I mean they they've done a good job. They they build cars that the that their customers love, 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 love. Uh, you know, they've established a huge presence. They've influenced uh, other automakers who are all of a sudden now scrambling to go electric, uh, following Tesla's example that electric cars don't have to be sort of these these, these miserly you know, eco minded things. They can be fun. They can even be better than than um, their conventionally powered counterparts. And all of that is, is huge. It's seismic. I mean, I mean, you could argue that he's already accomplished his mission to accelerate. Uh, you know, humanity's uh, movement towards what, what's the phrase sustainable transport towards you know electric vehicle electric cars rather than internal combustion cars uh, his, his influence is massive uh, that said that's somewhat separate from whether Tesla's is is going to thrive as an investment right and 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 that's that's the conversation here today exactly exactly I mean really made EVs cool I think in 2018 Tesla was over 10 percent of global EV sales they've really made Made a move, uh, a significant move into the auto market. Uh, you know, they, they tout uh, their their large amounts of autonomous data and their their fleet of cars using autopilot. They have a network of superchargers, and they've, at least until recently, built a really robust brand of, of retail stores. 
But in the past few months, the story around Tesla has kind of changed. For the longest time, the questions around Tesla came uh, on, the, on the issue of supply. Is Tesla going to be able to make the Model 3 at high quality and at scale? And uh, Tesla really faced uh, some difficult issues there. Uh, back in November, Elon Musk uh, said to Axios on HBO that you know, during the, uh, the ramp of the Model 3, Tesla faced, quote, a severe threat of death. Essentially, the company was bleeding money like crazy, and if we didn't solve these problems in a very short period of time, we would die. Of course, Tesla did uh, did seemingly solve those problems and has reached volume uh, production. However, the the recent questions around the company have to do with demand. And you saw Elon. And, Go ahead. And and that's an interesting point, Nick. For years, the 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 investment discussion around Tesla was how quickly can they ramp up? How quickly can they make more and more cars? And and the question of will people line up to buy these cars when they're making a million a year? Uh, it, is now starting to come into focus a little bit. It's like, you know, what what is the real demand for these vehicles at, at their current state of technology, at their current state of market penetration, at, at their current state of uh, the competitive universe? What is the demand? I, I wonder if we're now starting to see it and that it may not be quite as unlimited as uh, some heavy-hitting investors have assumed. Right. And we, we saw Elon uh, on the Q4 conference call say, quote, you know, he thinks the demand for the Model 3 is insanely high, but the inhibitor is affordability. Folks literally don't have the money to buy the car. Well, sure. And, yeah. But that's true of Ferrari, too. If Ferrari was building $20,000 yep. cars, they'd sell a lot more than 8000 a year, wouldn't they? <laughs> yes. Uh, when, you, when you take an economics class, you know, uh, it's how much demand at a given price point. And that's, you know, the, the, the first thing we want to talk about today is the news that we got Last week announced on February 28th that Tesla uh, was going to make significant price cuts across the board on all its models of vehicles. We got the long-awaited $35,000 Model 3, uh, as well as the Model S and X were cut uh, from about $12,000 to $8,000, and even more so overseas. So in Taiwan, uh, the price of the Model S P100D dropped by over uh, by almost $100,000, which prompted protests in the country. And uh, Electrek has quoted that some vehicles have been, de- been devalued as much as 40%. So, John, when we have these questions about demand and we see really significant price cuts across the board on all the models of vehicles, what does this what is this signal uh, for us to as investors? This really abrupt price drop uh, by Tesla? Well, clearly it signals that Elon is just now able to cut prices because their manufacturing is so advanced and he's doing this out of the goodness of his heart to speed the acceleration of adoption of electric vehicles. At least that's what my Twitter followers tell me. The, the reality here looks a little different. I mean, it really does look like from all of the evidence we can see that Tesla knows that it's now it, that its early adopters all have their products and now the the move into the mass mainstream isn't happening quite the way they'd hoped and so now they've got to stir up demand they've got to start to pull some demand levers and a very big very aggressive demand lever is to cut the prices exactly we we saw uh in January and February significant declines in sales of the model 3 from what we had seen at the end of 2018 so just to throw some numbers at you uh in December uh, Model 3 sales were around 25,000. Those declined to 6,500 in January, and then a further decline to 5,750 in February. Those are the lowest sales of the Model 3 since around May 2018, when the Model 3 ramp was just beginning in earnest. Um, you know, uh, on the on the the positive side of this story, 
there is significantly more demand for vehicles just in general in this lower price range than there are for these luxury vehicles Tesla has been selling. So uh, demand for cars in the $35,000 price range is reported as five times higher than cars placed $55,000 and above. So there may be uh, uh, some demand there. What, what's concerning for me is the steps that Tesla has had to make to bring these costs down. And what they have done is uh, announced that they are going to close the vast majority of their stores. And to quote directly from Tesla's blog post announcing this, uh, they, Tesla says that to achieve these prices while remaining while remaining financially sustainable, uh, Tesla needs to shift sales worldwide to online only. Uh, they'll keep a small number of stores in high traffic locations as galleries, showcases, and Tesla information centers. And they're going to reassign or lay off retail workers. And this is the third round of layoffs that Tesla has announced in the past six months. There was a 7% workforce reduction in January, primarily targeting delivery, sales, and Model S production employees. And there was another round of layoffs in 2018. So, John, as we see, I mean, Tesla has really touted these retail stores as being a significant driver of demand for, uh, for, for the Tesla brand. Why and are they. Of course, and of course, the most bullish investors tell us. It's just like the Apple stores, you know, and as as part of their their argument for for why Tesla is this this disruptive company, because they're getting out there with this very polished retail presence that they control end to end rather than franchise dealers like other automakers, and that this is an important part of the story and an important part of upselling their customers, you know, rather than buy the loaded Model Three, why don't you buy a Model S? Rather, oh, you're buying a Model S. Maybe you want a power wall. Maybe you want a solar roof. This kind of thing. This has all been part of the story, and now, poof, it's gone. Right, and just to call out, I mean, how abrupt this swerve has been. So, in Q4 of 2018, Tesla opened 27 new retail and uh, and service centers, the most it had ever opened in a single quarter since 2017. Uh, they called out in their 10K, published nine days before this this price cut announcement and the announcement they're going to cut all of their retail locations. They said that their Tesla stores and galleries are highly visible premium outlets in major metropolitan markets. Uh, opening a service center in a new ge- geographic area can increase demand, um, and uh, they have uh, they had plans to more rapidly expand their retail footprint. Of course, that's on an SEC filing under oath nine days before this announcement. You'll see in all these uh, all of these SEC filings this phrase that uh, the statements in in that filing reflect the current expectations of management. Why have management's expectations shifted so abruptly in a less than two week period? I think Elon got the mid-month sales report in February. <laughs> I, I really think that's probably it. They gave him the update and said, boss, things aren't going so well. And he's like, whoa, we've got to do all these things now. It's time to get the – what do we have to do – what do we have to cut to get the 35,000 Model 3 out now? You know, it, Or whenever it was, the, the, earlier, earlier in February. Uh, I, I think it is real seat of the pants here. I, you were saying something before that we started recording the show about – uh, building the aircraft while it's in flight. <laughs> and I mean, there, there is a sense of that. I mean, there's always been a sense of that with Tesla to some extent that it's, that it's still kind of a startup, even though it's what, 16 years old now or something like that. Uh, and there's a real sense really in the last couple of months that Elon is, is, is winging it. And, and and that he's winging it very quickly. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do these major changes that shift the business and and affect you know hundreds or thousands of of employees and and contractors and suppliers and so forth and that that have all of these these repercussions way down the chain. And he's just 
you know, he's just reacting. Right. And we'll talk about this later, too. I mean, even the call to announce this was rushed. I mean, it, it amounted to a call. Uh, so it was a call uh, to selected reporters, was not open to the public. We did not get a report. Was not, it was not open to a lot of people who cover Tesla on a day-to-day basis. It was it was a small invitation list, and they left off some surprising names. I wasn't on the call, but I, but I mean, people who... Tesla is part of their beat. We're not on this, and it and it was it was a little surprising. They were looking for a very particular audience, <laughs> right? And and they and they uh, announced uh, revised Q1 guidance. They wouldn't be profitable. All these, uh, you know, in the same week that uh, the SEC filed contempt charges against Musk for flaws in Tesla's communications. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but continuing on on about the retail strategy, one question I have is a, a big part of Elon Musk's you know master plan has been to build out both these electric vehicles with complementary solar services. And and, uh, in selling these solar products, Tesla has repeatedly uh, cited the importance of these retail uh, uh, locations to sell uh, solar solar products. So when they announced uh, the Solar City merger, they said they were trying to build an integrated product that you could just walk into a solar store and you just uh, into a Tesla store, excuse me, and just you know you get the solar panels and it all just works. Uh, and then, in you fact, s- this was a big part of how they sold the merger to shareholders. Right, and that there what that was is, this vision. This was the whole thing, you know. Right, and then uh, it, again, going back uh, going back to what Tesla reported in Q four. Uh, they they reported their lowest uh, number of installed uh, solar systems in five years. And in explaining the issues that Tesla had had in selling volumes of solar panels, they said, quote, we are still in the process of tra- uh, of transitioning our sales channel from former partners to our Tesla stores and training our sales team to sell solar systems in addition to vehicles. So if the reason the solar business wasn't doing well was because the retail store employees had not been properly trained to sell the solar products, now that these retail store employees are no longer going to be employed by the company, how does Tesla plan to sell its solar products? This isn't the kind of thing you can sell online. <laughs> you know, it just isn't. <laughs> I mean, these are these are expensive, elaborate systems. They you know they involve teams of people coming out to your house for several weeks. It's it, this this isn't trivial stuff. This isn't this isn't a car. This isn't a pair of shoes. This is this is something pretty major. I don't know how you sell it online. I, I don't know that they're going to sell very many online. I don't know if they're going to sell any online. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a story to continue to watch. There's also been reports out of Gigafactory 2 in Buffalo that they've been facing a lot of issues when it comes to production. That's where I, I got the... Let, go ahead. we got to explain what the Gigafactory in Buffalo is. It's sure, sure. It's a solar panel factory, yeah. Yeah, do you want to explain that, uh, explain that for, for our listeners, John? Uh, it, it's where they make the solar panels. Or, or the idea was that, they're, they, I mean, they got funding from... Or, or, or tax breaks or something to build this factory in Buffalo, New York, that was going to crank out these these advanced solar roofs that that Elon demoed around the time of the Solar City acquisition as as part of the case for this. And this factory, uh, well, you were about you were about to say, go ahead. This factory is having some issues. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's had some issues, and, and these are reports from the Buffalo News and, and local uh, local reporters there uh, talking to employees at the factory that really production ha- has been. Uh, not ramping up in any significant way over a long period of time. That uh, that uh, employees have been like watching videos on the job and not you know the the, the culture there around that factory ha- has really been poor. Um, 
So really a lot of question marks. And we're actually seeing uh, some New York uh, politicians really raising some questions about what's going on at that uh, Gigafactory 2 in Buffalo. So when it comes to the solar business, this change to both the retail strategy as well as what's going on uh, at the factory really raises a lot of question marks as to what role that solar business is going to play for Tesla going into the future. Um, Outside of the solar, outside of the solar business, there's some questions about how Tesla is going to sell their cars. So, uh, w- when they announced uh, this move to all online sales, Elon Musk called out that 78% of Model 3 orders had been made online, and 82% of those had been made without a test drive. However, it's worth noting that uh, the Model 3 wasn't in many stores; had a very limited test drive fleet in 2018. And it doesn't account for customers that may have gotten their first exposure to Tesla in the store and, and may have purchased. There's some, been some really strong anecdotal evidence, both on Twitter and I, and I think one uh, employee at The Motley Fool, that uh, Tesla salespeople have really been a huge part of pushing folks that are reservation holders to finally come through and make these orders. Now that these uh, employees are no longer there, what effect, if any, do you think uh, the absence of Tesla stores will have uh, when it comes to driving purchases for the Model 3. Let's back up for a second and talk about this as sort of a business model thing. I mean, there is a model of how, uh, we've talked about this in the past, uh, how new technology com- becomes mainstream. And it starts with early adopters, and then at some point it has to break out into the, the mass market. And there, there, are, there are scientists and, and social scientists who have, who have documented this and, and offered theories for this. But, but there's a point uh, popularly referred to as crossing the chasm, where you cross from the hardcore early adopters into the mainstream mass market. The stores were how they were going to do it. I mean, there's one, uh, I'm often in New York City, there's one store I walk past all the time. Uh, it's near an Apple store, it's near a big Starbucks, it's near uh, a, a Google location where, where a lot of Google employees work. It's very well situated. It's in Chelsea, um, around the west side. And you know, you start to see, okay, well-heeled, tech-oriented, mainstream folks walk by the Tesla store and they walk in. And this is how, you know, they start to bring new people into the fold and so forth. If it's all online, how does that work? Are, are they really relying on word of mouth from their hardcore enthusiast owners to to, to cross the chasm, to, to get into the mainstream market? I, I don't know how this is going to work. Right. And it's worth noting, too, that in the past few months, Tesla has radically cut back its referral program, which would be the case that, hey, our, our existing owners are going to drive sales. Without those incentives there, there may, there may be less, uh, less um, I guess, uh, incentive to do those sorts of things. The other question mark has to do, uh, in eliminating these test drives, what, what Elon Musk has really called out as, as making that possible is that this new return policy that they're going to have uh, uh, for, for these vehicles, that if you purchase the vehicle, you can drive it for up to seven days or 1,000 miles, and if you don't like it, you can return it for a full refund. And Elon has said, quote, we're, gonna, we're going to make it super easy to get a refund, like a quick refund. People really shouldn't be concerned about placing an order or thinking that there's not reversibility. We want to make it incredibly easy to get a refund. However, given Tesla's track record on refunding people uh, their, their deposits and, and uh, purchases, can we really trust Tesla to refund these uh, uh, these purchases promptly? What do you think, John? There's an there's a whole other issue here, which people haven't been talking about so much, uh, related to the refunds. Which is, you put a thousand miles on a car, and it's worth less than it was when it was new. Who takes that depreciation hit? 
they going to make the refund and take that depreciation hit and try to sell the car used? Are we going to have a pile of Model 3s you know, hitting auctions? And what is that going to do to residual values, used car pricing, their abilities to do leasing uh, You know, when that comes up? Uh, and and also, as as I know that that you've said in the past, and and perhaps you can expound on this for us, uh, Tesla hasn't been so good about giving the refunds. Right. We we got reporting out of CNBC reporter Laura Kolodny, maybe the, the maybe in the past month or so, spoke to you know more than a dozen Tesla customers, and we'll drop a link to this article in the description of the podcast, so our readers can can take a look at it for themselves, or listeners take a look at it for themselves. Um, but she reviewed their correspondence with the company and their financial records, and the issues the issues are, are really kind of surprising for a company as big as Tesla. You had a bounced a thousand dollar check for a, for a refunded reservation fee. Uh, you had Tesla instead of refunding the reservation fee, refunding the full forty thousand dollars that someone paid for the car. Uh, you had uh, people getting repaid, but getting no communication or notification from Tesla. Those sort of sorts of things that are taking place. And then the most extreme cases, we've had customers, you know, waiting weeks or months to get refunds in excess of $10,000. Um, you know, the customer cited in that article talked about, you know, repeatedly communicating with Tesla sales staff and those sorts of things to try to get those issues resolved. However, with those sales staff getting laid off in significant ways across the board, uh, I think it's reasonable to question whether these issues uh, might not might not only not improve may may deteriorate as the staff that is that is there to to service customers uh, you know no longer works at the company. What are your thoughts on that, John? Uh, best case, uh, these anecdotes speak to either poorly trained staff or poor systems. Uh, you know they they don't have the con- they aren't able to just log into the system and 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 click refund and the check automatically prints and mails. Uh, they've got they've got some sort of issue going on. Uh, Worst case, I mean, maybe there's a policy to to stall on refunds as long as possible to keep Tesla's cash balance as high as possible, especially around quarter end when they've got to show it to the world. I don't know. I don't know. But it it is it is again best case. This is a, this is not the level of organization we expect of a 16 year old 50 billion dollar company. Uh, you know, worst case, there's shenanigans going on here, and and it, it's it's very strange. Yeah, definitely something to watch as you know refunds become a more significant part of Tesla's selling strategy than even they have been to date. The other question uh, kind of popped up to me when we look at all these stores that are going to be shut down is if there's going to be a lot of costs associated with this, and there's going to be um, it's going to be a really complicated financial transaction. So you're going to have to cancel uh, all your leases with, with malls. Uh, just since the beginning of March, they've closed 32 stores, and we, we've seen several uh, mall-related businesses trade down as a result uh, of Tesla's announcement. And then you've got severance pay for store workers, uh, which you know if you're going to lay off a large number of these workers, uh, you're going to have to pay them uh, a severance. Uh, and there has been some reporting that Tesla is making moves to maybe try to encourage these uh, workers to quit rather than being laid off. There's been some reporting that Tesla has eliminated all bonus compensation for their retail staff. Those bonuses represented the majority of their income. Uh, what are your thoughts on that and the thoughts on the complexity of this transaction for Tesla? Uh, that this is that this is a, a strategic move that was not fully thought out. Um, and that the company is cash strapped, <laughs> and I mean, which is consistent with everything else we've said so far, right? About the current state of Tesla, uh, 
you know, if Ford Motor Company lays off a bunch of people, uh, you know, they pay out the severance and then maybe they take it as a one-time charge against earnings so that it doesn't go to, you know, their, their adjusted income and they can, they can say, well, you know, this is a thing that happened. It's not an ongoing thing. And, and investors sort of roll with that and say, okay, yep, yep, we see that. Uh, you know, if Tesla is worried about the hit to, to its, its, quarterly report that's one thing but but it seems almost like like they're really holding on to cash as tightly as possible here you know it, it's 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 really weird <laughs> well i mean it's weird except that 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 context explains it Right. And one last thing to mention, too, uh, you know, Deepak Ahuja, Tesla's, you know, longtime CFO, he has two stints at the company, uh, you know, abruptly resigned uh, in the last quarter's uh, conference call. So we now have a, a new CFO at Tesla that's going to be managing uh, this really complicated financial transaction, Zach Kirkhorn, uh, you know, 30, 34 years old with no CFO experience. Does that raise any red flags to you or concerns, uh, given that, Someone with less than ideal experience will be navigating these these transactions and, and you know you know getting all these leases off the books. I, I do wonder what's going on here. I mean, I don't know Zach Kirkhorn, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, he may be very sharp. He's probably very sharp. Uh, he's probably sharp enough to impress Elon. That doesn't mean he has the experience to do this or the knowledge to do this. Um, I don't know who on his team might have it, uh, given the high turnover uh, in the finance department at Tesla. Um, and you know, the Deepak's departure was just just crazy. It was you know, it was it was a, a drop at the end of the conference call. By the way, I'm leaving. Bye. You know, <laughs> it, it was it was almost that. Yeah, just you know, here we're having our quarterly conference call, and by the way, I'm gone. See ya. Uh, did he decide that earlier that day? What happened here? What, what is the story? We don't know the story yet. Nobody's managed to report it out. But, uh, I mean, we know where all this points. This is a company um, that is flying by the seat of its pants uh, with a CFO who may be way in way over his head in terms of sort of hard business finance questions, uh, who is improvising um, in a situation where there may be a serious cash crunch that isn't readily visible to us. Right, John. That's what I wanted to ask you. You know, with as complicated and abrupt as these price cuts have been, and eliminating the retail stores that had been a really key part of both Tesla's solar and uh, mass market strategy, why is Tesla choosing this route rather than raising cash via debt or equity uh, to kind of finance the company as it you know overcomes the these yeah, at least uh, at least the demand problems that they're facing today? Why is Tesla not raising money? Well, the the community of Tesla skeptics on Twitter and elsewhere is convinced that for some reason they can't, that they would have to disclose that that the SEC has told them privately that they would have to disclose something or that they are blocked somehow, um, or maybe alternatively that the banks who have who have led their funding rounds in the past have said no, you've got to show us profitability. We can't go back. You know, we can't go back to this well. Uh, or you, you run the serious risk of trying to do a $2 billion raise or whatever and having it be undersubscribed, which you know is not going to support your stock price if that happens, to say the least. Sure, John. And let's transition now to talking a little bit about what's going on abroad. So, at the end of the last quarter, Elon really called out that, that there's going to be significant demand in Europe and China for these vehicles. And in that this conference call last week, 
Uh, I mentioned that you know Elon updated guidance saying they don't expect to be profitable um, in Q1, both due to the restructuring of their stores and the layoffs having to do with their retail locations, but as well with challenges getting cars to China and Europe. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in China and Europe. So recently, we've seen news in China having to do with import issues there with customs. Do you want to explain that a little bit to our listeners? What's going on there in China? Well, I, China suspended imports of the Model Threes. I mean, I, I mean, their, their customs inspector said there are assorted uh, irregularities, including you know things that were labeled incorrectly and so forth. Uh, they cited problems with sixteen hundred cars. There are a whole bunch that are still being held. Um, China, the Chinese officials did agree this was something that Tesla could fix on site in the port, in, in, in the impound area, wherever the cars are being held. Uh, Tesla is apparently doing that uh, under the eye of the customs officials. Um, and, and that clearances, you know, they'll be able to import the car. The clearances will resume once, once they get this straightened out. Uh, but as always in China, we wonder if there's a little deeper thing going on here, <laughs> you know, and, and what that might be. Did, te- did, did Tesla not have the right agreements with the right officials to bring the cars in? Um, did Tesla leave off something obvious that has raised raised the ire of, of you know some leadership of the customs people or something like that? What, what's going on here? Right. I mean, and you know, it could be as innocent as there's been reporting in the past couple months that Tesla was really rushing to get their vehicles onto boats and shipped off to China in fears that. As uh, President Trump's delay uh, of increased tariffs on China uh, uh, took place, uh, there were there were some fears that hey, uh, we might not be able to get our cars there uh, before those tariffs bumped up. So it's possible that Tesla was just in their rush to get those cars on on the boats or on the ships. Um, as as we've seen elsewhere in our discussion here, uh, Tesla is not always the most organized, meticulous company, uh, especially with one of these Elon on the fly kind of things. It might just have been you know exhausted people working eight. 18 hours a day to get these these cars on the ship and 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 you know on their way to China in time, uh, and things were missed, things weren't communicated, things like that. I mean, it is entirely possible that that's what's going on. It's also entirely possible that because of some of the same factors, uh, they didn't get their story straight with China. They didn't understand exactly you know what they needed to be doing to bring them into the country. They didn't have the agreement from. The customs officials who would be overseeing this, whatever. There, there, there's something, some, some breakdown has obviously happened, and it might just be. In fact, it probably is. Occam's razor suggests it's just because of te- Tesla's tendency of doing things on the fly, quickly, at the last minute, under stress, and so forth. Yeah, regardless, definitely something to be aware of for investors, particularly with the significance of China as a market for Tesla moving forward. And another part of the China story for Tesla has been the construction of the Chinese Gigafactory that Elon has really been touting over over the past few months. Uh, He said in the Q4 conference call, we really need to bring the Shanghai factory online. It's the biggest variable uh, for getting to 500,000 plus vehicles a year. And they need the Shanghai factory to achieve that $10,000 a week run rate and have the cars be affordable. Do uh, you have something to say about that, John? 10,000 car rate. <laughs> 10,000 cars a week was is the long-held goal. We're going to build 10,000 Model 3s a week, you know. And and but they need the second factory to do it because they can't do it in three months. 
Sure. And the, the question mark that we've seen around this Chinese factory is that this has really been touted as something that Tesla is going to construct, but we still have not seen financing announced for this factory. Tesla has said that they're going to have the factory under construction this summer, and there's been a report from Reuters uh, from a Shanghai official that the construction of the factory, at least you know the factory itself without the machinery in it, uh, would be completed in May. What if anything, do you take from the fact that we have not seen any announcement from Tesla uh, when it comes to how this factory is going to be financed, particularly because it's currently under construction? I don't get it. <laughs> and I seem to be saying that a lot. And I fear our listeners are going to go, God, this rose hair guy's an idiot. But I've been, I mean, I've been looking at this company for years, and there's a lot of, we haven't heard the whole story yet. There's something here that's not right. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's what we keep saying over and over here. Um, you know, we, we do see uh, there is somebody who uh, who is in in the area in Shanghai who has been taking pictures of the site and and we've seen it go from a mud pit. They've built uh, workers barracks now where they're going to bring in workers who will live on site and, you know, build it maybe around the clock for all we know. Uh, it is not implausible that, the, that if they mount a full blown effort uh, and do build around the clock that they will have the building up by May. Um, it is not implausible that if they mount a well-organized, full-blown effort, that they will have machinery in place by the end of the year and be able to crank out a few cars before the end of 2019. Uh, neither of those things will be cheap, even in China. And I and we have, as you know, as you've said, we don't know who's paying for this. We don't know how this is being financed. Tesla has never released an 8K saying, "Oh, we've got funding for this." What deals have they cut to make this happen, and with who, and what have they given up? We don't know. Right. There is a lack of transparency that I think to me is concerning. Uh, you know, we saw on the Q4 conference call, I believe uh, CFO Deepak Ahuja had mentioned that they had you know, received attractive financing offers from, from local Chinese, uh, Chinese banks. But again, we still haven't seen announcement of that financing. So something you know, I've been watching out for in the past month or so and the thing we're continuing to wait on. I want to transition now to what's going on in Europe, and Europe has faced some import issues of its own. Uh, the first issue I want to call out is right off the bat, uh, the first week into European imports, right when the, uh, the vehicles were coming off the boat, uh, Tesla had hired a company called ICO to handle uh, getting those, uh, those vehicles unloaded from the ships and preparing them for delivery to distribution centers. However, uh, less than one week into those imports, Tesla fired ICO and decided to take over uh, those duties, at least the duties when it comes to uh, prepping the vehicles for delivery to Tesla distribution centers, uh, take that over itself. Does this raise any concerns for you, John? It seems to me uh, th these types of services are something you'd want someone who specializes in this sort of thing doing. What, what do you think about the idea that they fired their import agent less than one week into uh, importing vehicles into Europe? Uh, the story, I, I, again, there's a story we haven't heard. It could be as simple as uh, Tesla didn't like the way the company was prepping the cars and decided to do it themselves. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe the first dozen arrived dirty or something. And, and, you know, I think Elon was on site for a day or two here. And it's possible he said, no, you guys aren't doing it right. We're just going to do it ourselves from now on. It's also possible that, that you know, there was some financial thing that, that this company said, all right, you know, we need payment for the first three months in advance because of your uncertain financial condition or whatever. And Elon said, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Go away. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's a story here. Uh, and again, we don't know it. Um but it, it is it is it is a little odd. I can come up with several 
semi-reasonable explanations for why they might have chosen to do this. Um, you know, certainly t Tesla preps cars for delivery in the United States to its own customers. It knows how to do this as a company, whether it's got the people on the ground uh, near the port and so forth to do this in Europe. I don't know. Uh, I, I would think that would be something that would be doable fairly quickly, though. But 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 again, we don't know quite what happened here. Sure. Moving on to to some additional issues we've seen. Uh, so they've had delayed type approval of their vehicles in Europe. They've had to roll out uh, at least the early deliveries uh, of their vehicles had to have autopilot disabled. Uh, we've seen German regulators have required Tesla to change how it shows its pricing on its website. Um, they claimed that uh, the fuel savings that Tesla was reporting were unclear and misleading for consumers. What are your thoughts on both those regulatory issues that Tesla has faced on importing its vehicles into Europe? Uh, Tesla's use of fuel savings has been unclear and misleading in the United States for years. Uh, German regulators are tougher about that kind of thing than American regulators. <laughs> yeah, I remember when the Model S launched, they were assuming gas was five bucks a gallon or something like that at a time when it was not. Uh, but, you know, because gas prices are always going up, it will be over the life of the vehicle was what somebody said at the time. Um, to some extent, this is just, uh, you know, we're entering a market for the for the first time. Uh, we're doing this kind of by the seat of our pants. We don't. We haven't hired people who are experts to advise us. We haven't spent months and months planning this carefully, uh, which is to some extent typical Tesla. Certainly in recent times, you know, ready, fire, aim. We're just going to ship them to Europe, and we'll figure it out when we get there. Let's go. Uh, and 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 so on one level, I don't make that much about it. This is this is you know Tesla bumping into regulation in a market that, it, that it's newly entering uh, where it hasn't done all of the research and dotted all the I's and crossed the T's beforehand, which is which is Tesla and which is you know not necessarily bearish for the stock in and of itself. I mean, if you assume they'll figure it all out eventually and everybody gets their cars in a week or two, uh, then it's really no big deal. But, but it, it's just more typical what we've seen over the company in recent times. Sure. Another thing uh, for for uh, you know Tesla investors to watch. Now, what I want to transition into talking about a little bit, John, is the Model Y. So on Sunday, <laughs> March third, three days after this conference call to announce the thirty five thousand dollar Model Three, Elon announced via Twitter that Tesla would unveil the Model Y SUV on March fourteenth at Tesla's LA Design Studio. So the first question I have for you, John. It, this, again, seems to be rushed, given that you had a Thursday announcement of very significant changes to the business that you know were concerning that the stock price traded down a significant way the following day. Why was the Model Y not announced until Sunday following this, this big announcement on Thursday? Any thoughts there? Uh, it is possible that this is another example of Elon flying by the seat of his pants. Uh, what has been going on in the rest of the auto industry this past week is the Geneva Motor Show in Geneva, Switzerland, which is the big uh, European auto show. Uh, the theme here is electric vehicles. There are a lot of them being showed. Audi just showed uh, an SUV, uh, uh, an electric crossover SUV, one size down from the e-tron uh, that they're going to begin building before long. Uh, that is that is aimed squarely at what we think the Model Y is going to be. I mean, I mean, it's the same kind of vehicle. It's the same size. It's Audi's ex execution. Uh, they're building it on the Volkswagen Group's mass market electric vehicle platform, so they'll be able to keep costs down and either deliver it at an aggressive price or make it nicely profitable for them, uh, possibly both, depending on trim level. Um, and, and they're clearly they're clearly out to get Tesla with this. Uh, Volvo, uh, with its corporate parent, Chinese automaker Geely, has, has launched a brand called Polestar. Uh, 
they just announced um, a similar product, an all-electric uh, crossover SUV that, again, is, is coming right at, at the Model Y's territory. Uh, it'll be built in China, so that that will help keep the cost down and so forth and, and exported. Uh, this could be a very powerful contender. Yes, it's a new brand, but uh, when I look at it, I see a Volvo and and you know, Volvo's reputation for safety and so forth is very strong and that will help sell them. Uh, Mercedes has a, has a compact, uh, the EQC, uh, the compact, uh, crossover SUV coming. That's all electric. Uh, this might just be Elon saying, uh, our competitors are getting out there before we are in this important, important, important model segment. Cross compact crossovers, especially upscale ones have been booming in sales all over the world. I mean, uh, it might just be Elon saying we got to show something so that we can preempt people who might be, you know, placing reservations on some of these other vehicles now or soon. And 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 it, and in that sense, it might just be again him reacting to something and improvising a solution on the fly. Let's get this thing out there. Let's put together something we can show people. Let's set up an event. How long do you need to put something together that we can show? Okay, two weeks. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it might might have happened that quickly. Right. And when you talk about the demand for these compact crossovers on the Q4 conference call, Elon, when talking about the Model Y, says he expects demand uh, to be you know, maybe 50 percent higher than the Model 3, maybe even double. The question I have for you, John, we, we just had a long-awaited $35,000 Model 3, of which a, a large number of deposit holders had been waiting for for a long period of time. With this new Model Y coming out, how Will the reveal of that car affect appetites for uh, people to buy this $35,000 Model 3, knowing that this Model Y SUV, very popular among consumers, will be reaching market soon? Do you think there is any chance that the Model Y will cannibalize demand for this new $35,000 Model 3 and the, and the price cuts you know, across the board on Tesla's vehicles? Depends how quickly are they going to get out a $35,000 Model Y. If I've been waiting three years for a car, I don't want to wait three more years for the you know, for the for the mythical thirty five thousand dollar Model Y, um, you know, at 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 some point I'm going to go buy something else because you know I need a car. <laughs> you know, I'm going to re up on the Prius and maybe get the next Tesla or something like that. Uh, a lot of these people who who got on that pre order list for the Model Three. Um, seem to have been people for whom a $35,000 car is a stretch. They're young folks. They're folks who are who are not employed in high-paying, high-tech jobs. They do other things with their lives. Uh, and they were maybe counting on the, the, the federal government incentives, which are now fading down, and some other things to be able to buy this car comfortably. And now, you know, okay, it's here, and we're starting to see it. Uh, I, I don't know how many of them are going to transition to the Y. Uh, with a normal automaker, sure, we'd say the crossover is going to way outsell the sedan right now. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Uh, with Tesla, I don't know because I don't know. You know, it, if we're still working with a core group of early adopters, uh, how many people are going to reach into their pockets again? How many people are going to reach in uh, from Model Y? And given how the Model 3 rollout has gone, where it took much longer to get to market, it cost more. And sure, the reviews of its handling and acceleration are great, but uh, you know the car has had other problems, assembly problems, problems that suggest it wasn't fully tested in winter conditions, and so forth. And you know, you've got consumer reports wavering on it, and so forth. I don't think they're going to get 400,000 pre-orders, uh, real, genuine, honest-to-goodness customer pre-orders uh, for the Model Y. 
uh, right now, especially uh, given growing economic concern around the world, that's another thing we haven't even talked about. Auto auto sales are cyclical, and, and it's late in the cycle. Uh, that will be true of Tesla, just as it's true of Ford and BMW and everybody else. And so, uh, you know, people who are who are looking at this and saying, okay, they'll have a million pre-orders for the Model Y. It's not happening. It's not. Um, I don't know how the market will react to the Model Y. It is possible that they'll show the Model Y and the market will go, all right, call us when it's closer to production. Or that's what most people looking at it will say. All right, we'll see. You know, because we've heard a lot of promises from Tesla that don't necessarily translate into the production vehicles. Sure. And on the topic of production, the other question there is, is where is the Model Y going to be built? You know, in the Q4 uh, press release from Tesla, they had said it's most likely going to be constructed at Gigafactory 1. However, uh, some reporting, uh, you know, speaking to folks inside the plant have questioned whether there is room for another production line along with the X, S, and Model 3 production lines in the Fremont production factory. And before we, uh, you know, started taping the show, you had mentioned a story that came out maybe 20 minutes before we started taping, John, related to that. Where is Tesla going to build the Model Y? Where Do we have any idea of what, where that's going to take place? Well, if Tesla were a normal automaker that followed normal automaker practice, it would be a no-brainer. They'd build it right on the line with the three, uh, and they would vary the proportions of Ys and threes coming out of the factory every day in alignment with what they were seeing in trends and customer demand so that they were ready to go. Uh, that's how that's how other automakers do this. I assume, uh, because it is the way that would make sense, that the Model Y is built on the same platform or architecture, as we say, uh, shares many of the same underpinnings. It's a new, um, the, the industry lingo for this is a new top hat. You have the vehicle architecture, which is where most of the engineering goes, uh, where engineering effort and cost goes. And then you have, you know, the body you put on top of it and, and to put uh, a crossover SUV body on on a, an architecture that was developed for a sedan uh, is not a complicated undertaking if you've designed it all from the beginning with that in mind. Uh, and it's relatively, I mean, I mean, it's horrendously complicated, but it's an established practice. It's relatively straightforward to build them both on the same assembly line. Uh, you do need some new tooling and so forth to make the body parts uh, to make the different interior bits or to buy them in or, or places to store them if you buy them in and you need some additional training for the employees and you may need to reconfigure things a bit in the factory. But uh, if they were planning the Model 3, the Model Y from the beginning of the Model 3 program, it would be a straightforward exercise. Uh, that said, it appears from their comments and from what we're hearing in recent days that that it's not going to go that way. And so where are they going to build it? I don't know. It's interesting that they were going to build it um, in Nevada uh, where they're, where, you know, labor costs may be fairly inexpensive, uh, certainly compared to California and regulations are lighter. Uh, but you know, is there a pool of established automakers and so forth? Can they hire enough people? Can they train them up in time? How long does that take? Um, and what does Panasonic, their manufacturing partner at the Gigafactory have to say about all this? And, and again, it, it speaks to Tesla or, or Mr. Musk perhaps making announcements before things have been thought through. And right. I don't, I don't, I don't know. They, they may not know yet. They may just say, we got to show the thing right now and start taking pre-orders. And, you know, for all I know, they're going to end up building it in Shanghai and shipping it in the United States. And I have no idea if that's actually how it will go, but it's a plausible solution right now. If they do get that Shanghai factory built, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, for all no, we know, they, I mean, they, go ahead. yeah, again, there seems to be no plan. Right. I mean, we saw the Model 3 being built in a tent. That's always an option. Uh, we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see uh, what happens. Uh, 
Next story, gonna I want to need a big gonna need a bigger tent. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, now let's transition to talking about uh, the other news that came out uh, from Tesla last week, which was the SEC recommending that Elon Musk be held in contempt of court. Uh, so for our listeners who aren't familiar with what contempt of court is, meaning contempt of court means either misbehaving in the courtroom or, in this case, deliberately misobeying a court order. Uh, and the court order that's relevant for this case for Elon and Tesla, which I'm sure everyone remembers back in August, Elon's uh, $420 go private funding secured tweet, which led him to be charged with securities fraud by the SEC and which triggered uh, the settlement that that is relevant in this contempt of court case. We should we should note that that's a civil charge, not a criminal charge, right. by the way. When they say securities cause, it comes out of uh, a set of securities rules. Um, it, it, it is serious. It is not go to jail serious. It is pay a big fine serious. Right. And Tesla. So just to be clear about that. Yes. And, yeah. and, and you know, to put put some numbers on that fine, uh, both Tesla and Elon Musk were tasked with p- to pay $20 million in penalties each. Uh, the relevant uh, part of that settlement agreement that's you know at issue in this contempt of court case is the agreement that uh, Tesla would put in place controls over Elon Musk's uh, Twitter that uh, would pre-approve communications. Um, and uh, this contempt charge arises from a Twitter post Tes- uh, Elon Musk made uh, a couple weeks ago that Tesla would make around 500,000 cars in 2019. This was materially different from the $400,000 target set at the end of January. Um, and uh, and it was not vetted uh, prior to being released. Uh, Elon had to correct uh, that tweet subsequently after consultation with Dane Batswingus, Tesla's since-departed uh, uh, general counsel, uh, changed his tweet to say, meant to say, annualized production rate at the end of 2019 around 500,000. And so the SEC in their complaint has said, said, quote, Elon once again published inaccurate and material information about Tesla to over 24 million Twitter followers, including members of the press, and made this inaccurate information available to anyone with internet access. Again, the SEC said in its motion that Elon had not made a good faith or diligent effort to comply with the settlement, citing uh, Elon's uh, appearance on 60 Minutes, where he said, he did not respect the SEC and acknowledged that he did not have his tweets removed, uh, reviewed prior to releasing them, and that, quote, mistakes may be made. And also cited a tweet in October where Musk mocked the SEC, calling it the short seller enrichment uh, commission. So as we look at all these SEC issues surrounding uh, Tesla and Elon Musk with regard to uh, this contempt charge, what concerns, if any, should investors have? Um, that they might say he can't be CEO for a while. <laughs> I mean, they they have the power to do that. You can't be director and officer of a public company for X years. Uh, we call that a DNO ban in the business. Uh, that is a penalty that can be doled out. And it depends on whether the SEC politically feels it prudent to go gently on Tesla because of its prominence or to make an example out of him. And he, as he pushes his luck, that argument is going to tend more towards making an example. I don't know if we're there yet, but we may find out. Uh, at minimum, um, there will be something coming down on Elon. It might just be another fine uh, that is that sounds big to you and me, but is small with Tesla backstopping Elon's fortune. Um, 
maybe the very worst case, though, is they can say, all right, we're throwing the settlement out. Now we're going to prosecute you. <laughs> you know, yeah. They, now, now we now we get into criminal securities fraud, and we're going to come at you. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, let's send over an FBI team and start digging through your records at, at, at Tesla's Palo Alto headquarters and see what we find in the finance department. Uh, that would that would be a very difficult situation for Tesla uh, and for Tesla investors, uh, hoping that the stock price stays lofty. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the options available to the SEC at this juncture are really anything in the grab bag. You mentioned the DNO, the DNO ban, a uh, fine, which is definitely going to be higher than the $40 million doled out previously. Something to watch. Uh, the other question that I had arising from you know Elon's tweet and the follow-on uh, uh, from the contempt charge is what exactly is Tesla's production guidance? And we have a few figures kind of floating around here. In Tesla's 8K and uh, fourth quarter update letter, they forecasted 360 to 4,000 vehicles produced. However, in the conference call Q&A for that same quarter, released on that same day, January 30th, Elon announced a target of 350 to 500,000 vehicles. However, on the uh, on the, the tweet on February 19th, Elon said they're going to produce around 500,000 vehicles. Then again, on the follow-up tweet on February 19th, they said they're going to produce about 400,000 vehicles. And then on February 25th, Elon went, again went back to this 350,000 to 500,000 number quoted on the Q4 conference call. And then again, on this uh, 20, February 28th conference call, Elon announced a production guidance range of 420,000 to 600,000 vehicles produced. So we've got you know, three or four competing numbers announced in the past month and a half from Elon Musk and Tesla. Do we have any clear picture of what the production guidance is for Tesla in 2019? You just gave the production picture for Tesla in 2018, as they see it. Uh, no, of course we don't. Um, I, I mean, there's so many variables in the air. Uh, what is demand for the Model 3, really? Uh, what is happening in China, really? Uh, what is happening at the Las Vegas, at the at the Nevada Gigafactory, really? Uh, it it it's it, it's hard to see. And and again, what I'm taking from this is we don't know. We haven't done a detailed analysis. We're flying by the seat of our pants. Um, and you know, that's one thing for a startup with twelve people. It's another thing for a company like this. And and it's just the thing we've been saying over and over today. It's it's they aren't organized. They aren't meticulous around communications, certainly as well as as well as other things we've seen. Uh, this is you know Elon says uh, yeah we're going to do this, and it's kind of off the top of his head. And and maybe he remembers what he said last time and says the same thing. And and maybe he's had a conversation where he's talking about different numbers and then asked, and then off the top of his head, it's not the same numbers. And I, I think that's that, that that's probably all that's happening here. That there's no deeper intent to to give figures all over the place. It's just that that they don't have an official guidance, really, except that because Elon says it and he's the CEO and he's he's you know the person, the the very public spokesperson for this company, when he says it, it becomes official guidance. Right, which is what the SEC is is bringing their contempt charge for that that you know right. your, your Twitter and things like that are official, have been deemed official uh, uh, ways to release Tesla's information. And when those things are unclear, the SEC is going to come knocking. 
Um, yeah, and and among other things, I mean, there may have been places where there was intent to dis, to mislead, uh, but there is also just a lack of organization and a lack of structure to the way they present this. And I think that was part of what the SEC was going after with the settlement. You you know, you need you need some supervision. You need somebody to oversee this before you just blurt out, "Oh, we're going to build a million cars this year." Uh, you've got to have somebody say, yeah, but you said 400,000 last week. So we got, you know, we got to be consistent. I think that's part of what the SEC was imposing was just recognizing the reality of, of how Elon operates and saying, you know, all right, we got to put a little structure around this because these, these things you are saying offhand have serious consequences. Sure. All right, John, the next, you know, kind of story around Tesla that I want to talk about briefly, and you mentioned it earlier, is this idea of the consumer of consumer reports pulling its recommendation uh, for for the Model Three due to reliability issues. Uh, consumer reports has already pulled recommendations from the Model S, and I, I believe the Model X never received. Uh, a recommendation for consumer reports, but consumer reports cited they've identified a number of problems with the cars, including issues with body hardware as well as paint and trim. One common issue, and this is an issue that consumer reports even had on its demo vehicle, is the uh, glass window in the back of the vehicle has a tendency of cracking in a T-shaped pattern. When you look at the issues that consumer reports has cited when it comes to reliability uh, with, with Tesla's vehicles, what Questions does that raise for you as an investor, or how, how do you think about that uh, when you look at this company? It's interesting that I can say the same thing again. This is this is what happens when you ready fire aim. This is what happens when you rush a vehicle to market to meet a deadline that you've blurted out on an investor call, um, and when when the thing was not properly tested the way that a company like BMW or Audi or, or Ford or GM or any of these other companies we've talked about uh, will test a vehicle before it brings it to market. You know, we, we had ex- we, we had reports, a lot of reports of Model 3s, for instance, uh, with frozen door handles, with Model 3s that would not charge in extreme cold, suggesting that they hadn't done much winter testing. Uh, whereas, you, you know, you see Audi, Audi takes you know, 200 prototypes up to the Arctic Circle and bangs on them for three months or something like that and, and, and these other companies. In fact, Jaguar, before they rolled out the I-Pace, made a point of showing that we took a whole bunch of these cars to some snowy place and and banged on them and had our engineers take notes of what needed to be improved. Uh, that was that was properly understood, I think, as a shot at Tesla. And 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 that's not necessarily what Consumer Reports is citing here, but it's it's all of a piece. It's you know, we didn't fully develop this car before we released it. Uh, we improvised things on the production line that maybe don't work out to build vehicles of the quality that we hope to deliver. Uh, because we did this fast, we did this by the seat of our pants because we wanted to show people that we're innovative. We wanted to show people that we're, um, you know, manufacturing on a different level from ordinary regular automakers. That we can do things faster, that we can execute faster, and so forth. And and the re- result is, uh, you know, the windows all crack because of the way they're installed or something, and and or because we cheaped out with a supplier, or because we didn't fully develop the the bracket that supports it, or something, etc., 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 etc. And these are the kinds of problems that come up when they when they didn't fully develop a vehicle and didn't draw on their understanding of what works and what doesn't doesn't based on you know extensive industry experience and so forth it's 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 the same thing right john in the past tesla had ran afoul of consumer reports when it came to breaking issues with i believe the model 3 and they had been able to correct those with over the air software updates to the vehicle. What's important to note here when you're looking at issues with cracking glass and sticking door handles and things like that, 
Those are things you cannot correct via an over-the-air software update. Those are things that are mechanical and take repairs. Another thing to note as well is when you have these reliability issues, those uh, repair expenses become factored into your insurance expense. And when you're going for the mass market with this $35,000 Model 3, uh, insurance expense becomes part of the total cost of ownership of the vehicle. So something to be aware of as we go to this mass market. Uh, it's not just a $35,000 vehicle, but it's a $35,000 vehicle with an above market insurance expense. What do you think about that, John? I think there's another factor too here. Uh, with your $35,000 BMW 3 Series, uh, there is an expectation that when it breaks, you can bring it to the BMW dealer and they will get parts and fix it promptly. Uh, we've had report after report after report, including from uh, one of our own full riders, Evan New, had this experience himself, where people have waited months and months for parts from Tesla, parts that you know a, another automaker would have in the shop within a few days. And that's another thing with the mass market experience. Maybe, you know, maybe with your Ferrari, you're willing to wait a month for, you know, the gasket piece needed to put the whole thing back together. Uh, the expectations around a $100,000 car that is a third car for somebody are very different from the expectations around a $35,000 car that somebody needs to get to work every day. It can't be in the shop for six weeks waiting for a part. Right. And one thing I do want to mention, and Elon Musk mentions this a lot, and Tesla calls it out. That Tesla, despite these issues, is still uh, holds the top spot at the Consumer Reports Customer Satisfaction Survey. So they're really driving significant customer satisfaction. When you look at that, that that Consumer Reports is highlighting uh, reliability issues with the vehicle, yet uh, consumer satisfaction is still extremely, extremely high. What are your thoughts on that, and how should investors think about that? That the cars that top the consumer satisfaction survey are not always the cars that are reliable. I mean, the Prius ends up on these lists because the people who buy Priuses really, really love Priuses. Have you ever seen a Corolla on this this kind of list? No, you won't. You're going to see cars that people love that have enthusiast communities. The Jeep Wrangler, the Chevrolet Corvette, things like the Dodge Challenger. These are not... Um, necessarily, uh, they could be, but it, not necessarily paragons of reliability. I mean, I owned a vet for a while. Uh, it was fun, but, but you know, uh, GM spent less money developing that than they do on a pickup truck, and it showed sometimes. Um, you know, I mean, any, anybody who's ever had a Corvette knows what I'm talking about. It, it's, it, you know, it comes with a certain expectation that not everything's going to work 100% all the time, that it's, that, that it's going to be, um, you know, a little more of an edgy product and, and not so much with the, the Toyota reliability. Uh, these are the cars, but these are often the vehicles that get enthusiast followings. Jeeps have a tremendous enthusiast followings. The Dodge muscle cars have a tremendous enthusiast followings. Corvettes, uh, and not always high performance cars. Like I said, the camp, the, the, uh, Prius has a, as a tremendous devoted, uh, enthusiast following as does Tesla. Tesla. I mean, we all know it's been 15 minutes reading about Tesla on Twitter and you will understand if you don't already Tesla people really, 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 really love their cars. That's great. That's fine. That doesn't mean they're reliable. It doesn't comment on reliability at all. It, it, it comments that the, the car, the brand is delivering something that these people find deeply, deeply satisfying. Right, John. And I, I think if you're going to own a position in this company, you really have to be betting on this brand being extremely strong, despite, despite the issues that we have cited uh, throughout the past year, that people really love this car so much that you know they're willing to deal with uh, some of the issues that come uh, with owning the vehicle. Do you want to uh, comment on that, John? Uh, I do, because I want to say the flip side of that is um, 
the Chevy Corvette is not a mass market offering, despite its high customer satisfaction levels. Uh, that isn't what's going to drive that. The business, the, the investment case for Tesla is that these become mass market vehicles. Um, you know, if you got to be a hardcore enthusiast to have one, um, that's not going to do it. Uh, you know, cars like Camrys don't end up on these lists, but those are the cars that, that millions of people depend on to get to work every morning. If that's where Tesla wants to go, or even, you know, if we're going to take it upscale a bit, BMW 3 Series. I, plenty of BMW owners love, love, love their cars and will evangelize them to great lengths. Plenty of other BMW owners just bought it because it was a nice car and it made sense and they got a good deal that day and they drive it to work every day and they expect it to work for 120,000 miles or whatever. And, and it's that latter group that makes up most new car sales. It's that latter group that Tesla's got to break into to get anywhere near the sales uh, assumptions that are baked into its stock price. Uh, this customer satisfaction, high customer satisfaction thing says nothing about their chances to do that. And, and in fact, what it tells me is they haven't yet broken beyond uh, the early adopter enthusiast hardcore because uh, of the people answering consumer support survey, who own a Tesla, the the, some big majority of them are extreme Tesla enthusiasts. And, and you've got to look at the cause and effect here and, and what that says about where Tesla is in the marketplace right now. Sure. John, the other story I want to talk about is what's going on with full self-driving with Tesla. Just yesterday, uh, Tesla made some relatively significant changes uh, to its website with how it markets its autopilot and uh, full self-driving offerings. Uh, on the autopilot front, they, they added some language saying, quote, current autopilot features require active driver supervision and do not make the vehicle autonomous. Um, the, the more significant um, uh, changes came in the full self-driving area. Uh, where they they change language saying that all Tesla vehicles have the hardware necessary for full self driving to new Tesla cars um, have uh, or have the the hardware for full self driving. Uh, by implication, does this suggest that older Tesla vehicles won't be capable of the full self driving that Musk has been promising? You know, going all the way back three four years, uh, that that these early Model Threes would be, and uh, and S's and things like that would be able to you know enjoy full self driving as Tesla rolled out those capabilities. Uh, I think we've all known for years that, that or not all, I don't want to say all, I think people who have made some effort to understand what this technology is and isn't and what is really required to do it have assumed for some time that these cars that rolled out with all this hardware were going to need some sort of retrofit to actually be, uh, to actually get past uh, level two or so, but, you know, what they can do today. Um there are big questions about Tesla believes they can do this without LiDAR sensors. They're, they're pretty much alone in the entire industry, both uh, cutting-edge startup people and people at automakers. They're pretty much alone in thinking that. And LiDAR units are expensive. Are they going to retrofit them? How, how is that going to work? Uh, and even if they don't, it, it, it now seems very likely that the the earlier cars that were sold with this promise are going to need an upgrade in computing power and at minimum that says tesla's got to recall them all and put put you know the bigger computer brain in for this promise to be delivered on how much is that going to cost when is that going to happen where's the cash going to come from for it etc cetera, etc cetera. uh these issues have been kind of lingering out there a little below the surface for a while but this brings them back up uh a little bit separately uh, what all these changes to the language on the site tell me is that um, 
somebody in the legal department finally looked at this because this is the kind of thing that happens uh, when you're drafting the site when you show it to the lawyers, <laughs> you know. And this has been out there for a while, so maybe. Uh, as part of the corporate governance changes that the board is maybe now belatedly trying to install, uh, council took a look at this and said, okay, wait, we got to back way off this because this is massive exposure and we got to do it right now. Maybe it was the German regulators' actions that brought it to their attention. Something happened. Sure. And it this, did- this, this, this is not just routine cleaning up the site in the course of business. This is, this is something drove this. Right. Two other things to, to call out as well. Uh, they eliminated language on the site saying, we believe full self-driving will be at least twice as good as a human driver. Also uh, backed off claims on the capability and ability to roll out the vehicle saying, quote, the future use of these features without supervision is dependent on achieving reliability far in excess of human drivers as demonstrated by billions of miles of experience. Uh, of course, that, that you know, imp- by implication, leads to believe that the sample size of data uh, available to the company needs to be significantly larger uh, than it is today for those capabilities uh, to exist. You mentioned interventions uh, by regulators, perhaps prompting this. We've seen uh, the NHTSA and the NTSB reopen investigations into Tesla related to some fatal crashes that took place in Florida. Just in the past couple of weeks, we had the second instance of a fatal crash that had, a, you know, a, there had been a previous occurrence of this wreck and then a, another one with a separate driver where uh, a, the driver of the vehicle was driving uh, down a divided highway where a, a semi was crossing uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 two lanes of the divided highway and the vehicle passed underneath the car, cutting the car in half, you know, and injuring, uh, you know, killing the driver. Um, this is the second iteration of this this sort of accident. Um, and uh, the previous accident, we don't know what happened with this current accident. Uh, the previous accident, autopilot had been engaged. We do know that for this more recent accident, the car continued driving for an additional third of the mile, third of a mile after the wreck um, had occurred. Uh, this also occurs at a time where the NHTSA uh, ha- has received some widespread criticism about the data it used uh, to say that autopilot in the previous crash um, had actually been reasonably safe. That that data had claimed uh, that autopilot reduced crash rates by forty percent. However, after a multi-year Freedom of, Inf- Informa- uh, Freedom of Information Act case, Quality Control Systems Corp uh, got access to the underlying data uh, that the NHTSA had used to reach those conclusions and and was able to determine that the data was flawed and that could not be relied upon. So, as we see, you know, regulators again taking a look at Tesla's autopilot, uh, we see, you know, repeated uh, uh, fatal crashes with, with the same characteristics. Is there a chance that these changes across Tesla Tesla's website are related uh, to this latest action uh, uh, from highway safety regulators in the U.S.? Oh, sure. You know, this is this is the new lawyer in the legal department. Uh, Seeing this happen and being like, okay, we got to tighten this up right now. Even you know, they may not have heard a word yet from the regulators around this, but but this is this is battening down the hatches. You know, this is this is this is probably some lawyer having a fit that this language was on the site and saying this should never have gone on the site. We should have done this years ago. Uh, you know, what happened here? We've got to tighten this way down. Um, you can't be promising this kind of stuff because people are getting killed and hurt. Sure. And then talking about other promises Tesla has made related to uh, uh, autopilot and self-driving, Elon Musk appeared on a podcast uh, with ARK Invest, which is a major holding in Tesla and has a $4,000 price target on the stock. As part of that interview, 
Elon said that full self-driving will be feature complete by the end of 2019, essentially will be safer than a human driver, able to be used without intervention, uh, merely dependent on regulator approval. Given these changes across the website, can we still depend on that guidance uh, Elon gave uh, to ARK Invest and, and the listeners to that podcast? Feature complete is such an interesting phrase, isn't it? Um, you know, you could argue that GM's uh, cruise automation system is feature complete and that all the features are there. It just needs a lot of on-road time to learn and develop and, and, and you know, through machine learning, uh, become more skillful to the point where GM trusts it to be level four and releases it. Uh, something they think they hope will happen this year, but we'll see. And GM is pointedly not saying that. It is possible that what Tesla means is, is you know, we'll be ready to begin that aggressive uh, driverless on-road testing process to accumulate all those miles so that we can release it as, 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 as level four eventually. Uh, it, I, I don't know what it means. I don't think anybody knows what it means. Um, it, it sounds like the kind of thing you say when, when you want to imply a promise that you're not quite ready to make, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Uh, what does Tesla know that everyone else doesn't? I, you know, I don't know that they know anything that anybody else doesn't. Uh, I know that people who know much, much more about the state of this technology than I do think Tesla is somewhat behind rather than out in front. Um, you know, I, I think there are there are partisans who would dispute that, but there's no clear evidence that Tesla is way out in front. But, or maybe I should say, nobody but its most ardent fans and investors assumes Tesla is out on the front and self-driving. I mean, the pecking order as widely discussed. Uh, across the industry is Waymo is in first place, GM Cruise is in second place, and then there's a gap to third place. And, and you know, there's some something of a gap between Waymo and GM, too. Waymo got started a lot earlier. Uh, and and that, that's how things are going to unfold. Um, and yet you have these people saying that, that, you know, only Tesla has self-driving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, 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 it speaks to the misperceptions uh, underpinning the bull case for the stock in many cases. Right. I, I think, you know, if we're going to place Tesla's autonomous capability along, you know, the commonly accepted, accepted scale, you know, from zero to level five autonomy, uh, Tesla's more in the range of level two or level three uh, autonomy today versus what we... They're, they're, they're squarely level two. Yeah. They, they have not released anything. Uh, I mean, the definition of level three is kind of muddy, but I think, I think if you ask Tesla at a moment where their legal department was, was in the room, uh, they would not claim anything beyond level two, and they never have really, when, when you nailed them down on it. Right. And, and for, for our listeners, uh, when we think of full self-driving, you hop in the car, you go to sleep in, in, the, in the driver's seat, and the car shows up uh, you know, at your work or wherever you're trying to go without you having to intervene. That's a level four autonomous system. That's a big leap. That's what uh, you know, Waymo and GM Cruise are trying to develop. Uh, for those capabilities, it's commonly accepted, at least today, that those have to be in a limited geofenced area where you have really robust mapping technology and you have to use LiDAR uh, to make that possible, none of which uh, is part of Tesla's offering. Uh, you know, As we see them back off some autonomous claims, something to keep in mind as we look forward at the business. Tesla does cite its, its autonomous data as being very valuable to them and kind of doing machine learning and building out their capabilities. We'll just have to see. Any, any uh, final thoughts on that, John? Uh, no. I, I mean, we, we just have to see. We just have to see. Um, you know, I tend to think that uh, because of errors made over the last few years and, and course changes and so forth, um, somewhat related to Elon's uh, uh, 
style that that Tesla went from a position of being somewhat out in front to being behind. Um, they have some good talent uh, working on this problem. I don't know that they have enough talent. I don't know that they have enough resources. I don't know that the talent has a clear enough picture of what they're they're realistically charged with doing here. Um, you know, it is a big puzzle. It, 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 right now, Tesla is a level two system, and where it goes from here and when well elon says stuff and 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 i mean you could you could really sum up much of what we've said in this very long podcast by elon says stuff and sometimes it's not what happens (laughs) you know and elon makes decisions on the fly and sometimes he doesn't have all the information and and that's that's tesla right there (laughs) right yeah and and yeah i want to wrap all this kind of together john and kind of uh, the narrative here is i mean for as we said off the top of the show, Tesla has been really successful in building from a st- you know standing start at zero a really significant global automaker. And to do that, you really have to have guts and nerve, and you have to not believe any of the challenges that are in front of you that you can overcome all of those things. And that's what Elon is really great at, and he's been able to build this this automaker you know to, to really really important global brand. As you mentioned, change the narrative around electric vehicles. However. There's always a point in time where what got you where you are is not going to get you where you need to go. So in investing, you know, to, to make a lot of money in the stock market, you need to be concentrated. But to stay wealthy, you need to be diversified. Okay, To become a very big, important automaker, you have to have that nerve and that just, I can do anything mentality. But to exist over the long period of time, you have to ride these cycles. You have to be prudent and, and, and cautious in how you roll things out. Um, and, and the question that you've really got to ask if you're going to invest in this company is, is the way Tesla operates is its business going to become more stable over the long term? Or can we expect this continued volatility and flying by the seat of your pants and those sorts of things? What are your thoughts on that, John, and, and just thoughts on Tesla moving forward? It's Elon. It's all Elon. Uh, Elon has, you know, Elon has made himself Tesla. He has made himself the person who gets to make all the decisions. He has made himself the person without whom important decisions can't be made. Uh, he's lost a lot of his executive talent over the last few years. I mean, the departure list is so long that if we read it on the air, that would be a whole other podcast. Uh, you know, he has lost a lot of his executive talent because, you know, if Elon's running everything, then why am I here? Uh, over and over. And, and so it's on him. As long as Elon is calling the shots, this company is going to be Elon's company. It's going to be uh, quick to pivot. It's going to be mercurial. It's going to be maybe making decisions without the benefit of full information and careful contemplation of alternatives. It, it's going to be making claims that are more aspirational than realistic. Uh, it's going to be uh, setting goals that are more to motivate people than to actually you know, be achieved, and so on and so on. It's all the stuff we've taken here today. So I think where I think where we end up is uh, what happens to Tesla sort of depends on Elon, and Elon isn't going to change into Alan Mulally overnight. He's just not, or or you know any of the other uh, executives we have admired in the auto industry over the years. He's just not. He he is who he is at this point. The guy's almost fifty years old. You know, he's he's been he's been using this approach for years, it's gotten him an awful long way. Uh, at some point, he has to um, offload responsibility or have it taken away from him by his board or by regulators uh, if Tesla is to 
get anywhere near the promise built into its market value today. Sure. Yeah. And John, just you know, full disclosure, I own puts on this company. I don't think it's going to take place. I think this this company is really starting to show some strain as they've had to change their business model. Uh, you know, you've seen uh, Bailey Gifford. You know that they're one of the largest holders of Tesla. Has advocated for Elon taking a step back uh, from active management of the company, kind of like how Jeff Bezos does, where he's not on conference calls and things like that. You know, I don't have uh, strong prospects for that taking place. And in any event, there is zero chance that Elon will stop being CEO of this company. The uh, really robust compensation package that the Tesla's board put in place for Elon last year requires him to receive his compensation to either be executive chairman and chief product officer or CEO. He cannot be executive chairman for the next three years because of the SEC's settlement that, they, that was reached back in, uh, back in uh, you know, late summer. So Elon is going to be CEO to stay. As you mentioned, his personality is not going to change. He's almost a 50-year-old man. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's going to be interesting. We, st- we should say he's not going to leave voluntarily. I mean, there are scenarios, uh, including uh, a DNO ban from the SEC or uh, action of his board of directors, which has so far been you know, essentially his rubber stamp, but who knows? Uh, at some point, they have to be aware of their own responsibilities if this thing starts to really slip and, and that they're exposed and that they may you know, feel the urgent need to take decisive action. We don't, we don't know. It, th- there's nothing saying he, that they have to keep him as CEO, uh, even if he really wants to be kept as CEO. So there really is uncertainty around this. Sure. Uh, he, he's not. He's not going to leave willingly. Most likely, it's possible he'll say, "All right, I'm done. I'm going to go play SpaceX." Uh, I don't know, but but he would seem to be the obstacle uh, to Tesla, or at least his his unquestioned control of Tesla would seem to be the obstacle to Tesla reaching the heights to which its investors have have expected to reach eventually. Sure, John. I- Really thankful having you on. I mean, so much news to to break down. And for our listeners who have made it to the end, thank you for riding with us this uh, this hour and a half. So much to talk about with Tesla. Before we go away, John, as we look out the rest of this year, what are you going to be watching most closely out of this company, and what should investors be paying attention to? Uh, what I'm going to be watching most closely is the progress of this factory in Shanghai. Uh, what's really going on with the Model Y? What does it look like? What are the expectations around it? Where are they going to build it? And and you know, what's the cash level? <laughs> yeah, how much money do they really have? And is it enough? We'll find out soon, I'm sure. And, you know, I, I follow this company on Twitter every single day. I, you know, I'm going to keep following it. I'm sure we'll talk about it here soon because this company can't avoid the news. So I'll really be looking forward uh, to continuing to talk about it with you, John. And thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!